Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, author Bill Sullivan is back to talk about the surprising ways a person's genes can influence aggressive and violent tendencies. You'll also learn about how it's possible that anglerfish can fuse to their mates and a Navy SEAL technique for reducing stress and staying calm. Let's satisfy some curiosity. There are a ton of invisible factors that influence your behavior. You don't really have much control over your DNA or the germs you come into contact with, but they're helping to shape who you are and what you do. If you don't believe me, then you really need to hear this conversation we had with Bill Sullivan. He's a professor of pharmacology and toxicology at Indiana University School of Medicine and author of the new book, Pleased to Meet Me, Genes, Germs, and the Curious Forces that Make Us Who We Are. In the book, he explains how genetics, epigenetics, microbiology, and psychology work together to influence our personality and actions. So we asked him, out of all the unseen forces that can affect someone's behavior, what do you think is the most surprising? One of the biggest ones that surprised me was uh, probably aggression and violence. That is something that I thought was completely in the realm of someone's mind, in their you know realm of control. You're either a good person or you're a bad person. You're either peaceful or you're violent, and that's kind of um, you know on you. But there have been, in fact, studies that suggest variations in certain genes that control neurotransmitters in the brain that can predispose certain individuals to aggression and violence. There's also environmental factors that can interact with those genetic variations. This gets into a concept that we call epigenetics, and this is the environmental control of gene expression, gene activation. So there's very clear evidence that if you are exposed to adverse childhood experiences at a very young age, those can epigenetically modify your genes to dysregulate your stress response. And as those children age, they usually have trouble managing impulse control and risk-taking behavior as they get older because of these epigenetic changes that occurred to them when they were very young. And then there's even some microbes that have been associated, you know, our intestinal microbes that have been associated with risk-taking and brave behavior. So these are pretty fascinating experiments that have been done in mice whereby you deplete their normal microbiome with heavy dose of broad-spectrum antibiotics. And then scientists can put whatever microbes they want into the gut to see what happens. And what they find is if they put microbes from um, like a risk-taking mouse into a timid mouse, that timid mouse will change and it'll start uh, engaging in more risky behavior. Wow. And um, just to back up a little bit for the listener, I think we've talked about epigenetics before, but do you have like an elevator pitch for like, what does that mean when you talk about epigenetics? Epigenetics is a really cool science. It is um, relatively new, but it involves not a genetic mutation. So when most people think about changes in genes, they think about a variation or a mutation that occurred. Epigenetics is a reversible 
chemical modification that takes place on or near a gene that can regulate its activity like a volume knob. And those chemical modifications are caused by factors in the environment. So it builds in this fantastic flexibility into your genome and basically says you can change over time. There's more than one person in your genome. And what brings it out, what coaxes it into existence is your environment. So the short analogy I like to use is that your genes are like the piano keys, but the environment plays the song. Nice. I've heard it in a in a much more violent way, like uh, your genes load the gun and environment pulls the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that is a more violent analogy. Perhaps <laughs> that person is genetically predisposed uh, in a way that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> So even though invisible factors affect most of the things you do, you still do have some control. And if you want to learn more about these influences and how to deal with them, you can pick up Bill Sullivan's new book, Pleased to Meet Me, Genes, Germs, and the Curious Forces that Make Us Who We Are. We'll put a link in today's show notes. Anglerfish are weird. The females are massive, with angry-looking mouths full of pointy teeth and a long, glowing lure between their eyes that attracts prey in the dark of the deep sea. The males, though, they're nothing to write home about. They're small and plain and have one goal in life, to find and mate with a female. They do that with one of nature's most bizarre modes of reproduction. It shouldn't be able to happen, but it does. And scientists only recently found out how. When a tiny male anglerfish mates with a giant female anglerfish, two fish become one. But not in the figurative what's mine is yours wedding vow kind of way. Instead, they actually fuse. Some species do this temporarily. Others will do it with several males at a time. But in the most extreme case, one male latches on and begins to dissolve as his tissues and circulatory system meld with the females. Eventually, most of his organs and body parts disintegrate, leaving his girl with only a pair of reproductive organs to remember him by. This is called sexual parasitism, and it's totally unique to the anglerfish. By that, I mean no other vertebrate species on the planet can tolerate fusing with another being. Their adaptive immune system would put a stop to it. The adaptive immune system is the one that learns how to fight new pathogens by forming special antibodies and T-cells so it's ready the next time that pathogen invades. Adaptive immunity is what makes vaccines work, but it's also why people need to take immunity-suppressing drugs after an organ transplant. Their immune system would attack the new organ otherwise. This means that anglerfish males should be attacked by the female's adaptive immune system. To learn why that doesn't happen, researchers analyzed the genomes of several anglerfish species. Specifically, they were looking for genes that encode for major histocompatibility antigens, which are molecules that sound the alarm when foreign tissue invades the body. They found that while all other vertebrate species have a wide variety of these genes, anglerfish were lacking. The species that attached to their partners temporarily were missing a lot of them. And the species that attached permanently had no adaptive immunity genes at all. They were just gone. This should be fatal. Losing adaptive immunity would cripple us humans. But these fish seem to get along just fine without it. In fact, scientists think that getting rid of the adaptive immune system 
was a key step in the evolution of sexual parasitism. To keep from getting sick, anglerfish probably compensate by being born with supercharged innate immunity instead. At least their evolutionary energy went into something, because it did not go into their looks. Got him. <laughs> All right, Ashley, I'm kind of stressed right now. I've got a baby coming, like this week. Are there any tricks from the Curiosity Archives that you can teach me to calm down? Aw, Cody, I feel for you. And actually, yes, there are. I have a tried and true trick from Navy SEALs. For them, it's absolutely critical to keep calm in pretty much every setting. And to keep that level head, they turn to box breathing. Okay, I'm sold. You had me at Navy SEALs. So I'll be the guinea pig. Lay it on me. Okay. Box breathing is a tactic that can slow your heartbeat and stabilize your blood pressure. And that's because this type of deep breathing helps to overcome your fight or flight response and put your nervous system into a more relaxed state. Ready to give box breathing a try, Cody? My body is ready. <laughs> All right. So box breathing has four steps and each one is done for four seconds. You can imagine each step is one side of a box. It'll only take you 16 seconds to cycle through the method one time, but you can repeat the cycle as long as it takes you to feel relaxed. So first, breathe in for four seconds. Nice. Make sure all the air has been expelled from your lungs before you start to inhale. And once you start sucking up your air, make sure to really fill those lungs. Next, hold your breath for four seconds. Don't let any air escape yet. Then exhale for four seconds. Let the air out of your lungs at a nice, even rate the whole time and make sure to get it all out. And finally, hold your lungs empty for four seconds. Then you can repeat step one and complete the cycle again. Whether you're in combat or you're about to have a child, box breathing can keep you frosty in the most heated situations. You should give it a try, listener. I feel better already. Nice. Ah, now that I am extremely zen and relaxed... Let's do a quick recap of what we learned today. People can be predisposed to violence and aggression thanks to neurotransmitters in the brain or from epigenetics when your stress response has been disrupted. I feel like box breathing turned you into a robot. Neurotransmitters in the brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point still stands that you can be predisposed to violence and aggression, but that's not an excuse for violence. I mean, I think it's always a good idea to give people more of the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And when someone is being too aggressive, tell them to try box breathing. Worked wonders for me and my radio voice. <laughs> Perfect. And we learned that epigenetics is a reversible chemical modification to your genes caused by factors in the environment. So basically, there's more than one quote unquote person in your genome, which means you can change over time. Super cool. Good to know. Also, interesting that male anglerfish are able to fuse to females without being rejected by their immune systems because they basically don't have an adaptive immune system. Instead, they probably have supercharged innate immune systems to protect themselves from disease. Evolution's so weird sometimes. <laughs> have you ever seen an anglerfish? Like a photo of one. They're in the deep sea, so you probably haven't run into one <laughs> in real life. I have not been to the deep sea recently, but uh, like... Anglerfish are shockingly hideous. They really are. They're they're so scary looking. Like they're they're pro they might be the worst fish in terms <laughs> of looks. Like they're really really awful 
Like just, I mean, go search for anglerfish online. I promise you, you'll hate what you see. It's just bad. Like, I feel bad kind of trash talking animals sometimes, but not this. Like, it's straight <laughs> out of a horror film. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, so I know our listeners and I know someone is being like, it's not the ugliest fish. The blobfish. The blobfish is the ugliest fish. And you know what? It's a myth that the blobfish is so ugly because blobfish also live really far down in the ocean. And so when fishermen bring them up, all of their tissues expand and make them look like a blob. They don't really look like that in the water. They actually look like normal fish. They also don't look that horrendous, even when expanded. I don't know. They look like a big blob. Yeah, but they don't look like something that's going to eat the earth, which is what the anglerfish look like. I mean, I don't know why there's not an entire subgenre of horror movie just devoted to anglerfish. Like, a giant anglerfish? That would be so much scarier than Jaws. What was Steven Spielberg thinking? Isn't there... Is Oh my gosh, there is. There is a very anglerfish looking fish in Star Wars Episode 1. I mean, it's got the teeth. It's got the eyes. It's, it's kind of got the lure, but the lure is just antennae. There is. It's the fish when Jar Jar Binks is like, big goober fish, huge O teeth, but like in a worse voice that makes you <laughs> dislike Star Wars for the rest of your adult life. Yeah. It's called the Oppie or the OPC killer. Why do you remember that? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I was trying to, I was trying to recall. Apparently I have a very good memory for Star Wars as I've demonstrated before. Yeah, seriously. Not super proud that it was episode one, but whatever. I'll take it. Yeah, you know. It's... And we learned that box breathing is a super simple way to calm down. You breathe in for four seconds, hold your breath for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, and then hold your lungs empty for four seconds. Rinse and repeat. You just have to remember one number, four. And that's four steps, four seconds per step. Pretty good. 16 seconds total. Square root of 16 is four. <laughs> Square root of four is two. And that was your math lesson for today. And I, <laughs> that's all the math I know. That's it. I'm done. I'm, yeah, I'm spent. Today's stories were written by Cameron Duke and Joni Folletto and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. <laughs>